Acts 4. We're going to start in verse 23. But as we do it, you may have missed the last three weeks. Uh, I feel like we experienced in Oregon a miracle, not like the one we saw in the story. I don't know if you guys got to the coast this week. It was 65 on Thursday. I got a sunburn right here. It's incredible. Like I'm, I'm glorying in my own sunburn because like it's March. This is crazy. I love it. But uh, it, it's been a beautiful week and we're not used to that. But in the last three weeks, forget about the miracle of like a beautiful spring break. We have seen a, a miracle like they had never seen. Uh, if you read Acts 3 and 4, a man who's crippled from the time he was born, never walked, is now 40 plus years and he's healed in a moment. And, and from the healing, there's joy. He runs into the temple, leaping, praising God. And everyone's worshiping. A crowd goes around, Peter and John, because they're like, who does this stuff? Now we heard about Jesus who did that. And these guys were with him, but now the same stuff is happening. And so they crowd around him and Peter and John like, hey, not us. This was Jesus. And they tell the Jesus story. They share the good news. And you'd think everyone would be elated. But at the same time, 5,000 people, it started with three. Now it's 5,000 people believe and follow Jesus. That's just the men. So with women and children, could be 10, 15,000 people in Jerusalem that are now following Jesus, but at the same time, the leaders, they're called the Sanhedrin, teachers of the law. The the important people, they hate Peter and John because they speak the name of Jesus. So we saw last week that when the gospel, when this news pushes forward and begins to affect people positively, change people for the good, at the same time, there's pushback. And so they're thrown in prison for the night because they don't know what to do with them. The next morning, they get the Jewish leaders and they put them on a little semi-trial to find out whose authority are you using to do this kind of stuff. And in the end, they realize this is Jesus. And they say it's by Jesus's name. And so they threaten them. We left last week. There's a threat. Stop teaching in the name. And Peter and John say with boldness, hey, who are we going to follow? Are we going to follow you or are we going to follow God? We will not speaking. We will not stop speaking about this Jesus, about what we've seen and heard. God is doing something, not only in the crippled man, but he's doing something in these leaders. And then it affects the church. And that's where we're going to pick it up. The end of this one encounter, all of Acts 3 and Acts 4 is one long event. Now verse 23 of, um, of Acts 4. On their release, so they, they, they let them go. Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And then we get their prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Um, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. And then they pray out a, a verse. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain and the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal 
and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, how are we supposed to respond when there's pushback? And let me tell you, a lot of you here are, are students and you choose to go the way of Jesus and you're going to find that when Jesus really becomes leader and when you choose to go in his direction, it's going to begin to change the way you live. And when you begin to change your behavior, the people around you begin to notice and not everyone is pro-Jesus. Uh, and so sometimes when you just like standing up to say, hey, this is why I am doing what I'm doing or why I'm not doing what I used to do, don't be surprised when you get some pushback. And it may not be intense, not like these religious leaders going to put you in jail, but what happens when we get pushback or if it's tougher, you get real persecution. I have been to many places and spoken with many young people who have chosen to follow Jesus and, and have had their parents say, you do that. I no longer want you in this house. Don't go get religious on me. And it's surprising, and especially when someone's young, saying, well, I'm just trying to do what I think is right. When you get older people, more uh, knowledgeable, wise people, people you respect, and that's exactly what's happening to them. Peter and John are simple, normal guys. And the gentlemen with the PhDs in religion and theology, instead of following Jesus, they're talking down about who Peter and John know, the truth of God in Jesus and yet the people that they should be respecting are talking bad about him. What do we do? Notice what you see here all throughout three and four, because it's crucial to the culture of our church. The first response of the church is to pray. Just look back at verse 23. On the release, they go back to the people, reported everything that happened. Verse 24, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, now prayer, so simple, if you're following Jesus or investigating it, it seems like the natural thing. We Christians read the Bible and they pray. It should be the natural part of knowing God. But if you're like me, prayer at times is just frustrating. Like, where do you start? What do you say? And, and you have good intentions, but you ever go to pray and then you find out the strangest distractions come up? Like you begin and then boop, you know, your phone should be on silent, but you get the little ding and then it gets thrown off. Or, or the things that weren't even the forefront of your mind, suddenly they're bombarding you, your to-do list. Or I can't believe she said that last week and it you know, just popped in your head. How does this happen? Prayer is a beautiful, beautiful privilege for those who know the living God, but it's also frustrating. And so one little thing that's in this text that I don't want you to overlook the people of God, Peter, John, and the rest of them, they are praying together. Don't miss that. The power is in the fact that the community is praying together. So what am I saying? There's a place for you and I to pray alone. Jesus, remember his teaching? He said, when you pray, don't go and put on a show. Don't stand in front of everyone else. He was actually talking to the religious leaders who love to pray in public and look good and sound good. He goes, go, be alone, go to your closet so no one sees you, but the Father sees you and he'll reward you. There is a place for you and I in the rhythm of your day, in the rhythm of your week to be alone with God. I don't know if that's a discipline for you. I hope it is. If not, this year, make it your goal, make it your prayer that if not every day, that most every day, you are taking five minutes, 10, 20, 
30, an hour, two, who cares? Start somewhere and be alone with God. But what you see for the most part in the book of Acts is the group of people praying together. See, I get frustrated when I pray by myself because I'm like, I'm very scatterbrained. I'm very, I don't have ADD, but I can appreciate those, that, that concentration is a challenge. So I'm all over the place. But when I get together and I pray with other people, I find a greater focus. I find that I like, I begin to think about things to pray about as I listen. I learn about prayer by listening to other people pray. And that is a beautiful thing that we see. And that's something we want to grow in. So let me just ask you, before we look at the rest of the text, who do you pray with? Do you have anybody? It could be a spouse. It could be a, a friend, brother, sister, a couple of schoolmates, whatever. Who, do you have anyone that you'd say, you know what? When I want to talk with God, I want to meet with so-and-so. I think part of the beauty of what we see in the text, the power that we see happening in the life of the community, is that it was the default mode to pray one with another. So prayer isn't just an individual, wonderful thing. Just like following Jesus is personal. Would you agree? It's you. I, I can't follow Jesus for you. You must understand what Jesus has said. Come to grips that he is right, you're wrong. Repent, believe, and follow him. I can't do that for you. There is something personal about following Jesus. But following Jesus is never a private, individual experience. It's always a group experience. That's why in the Bible... The biggest descriptor of the community, the church, is family. Paul writes all his letters, dear brothers and sisters, we're a family, we're connected. So the language of the Bible is that we get to pray together. So you're called to pray, sure, but there's beauty because we can pray together. So who is it that I've got my multiple groups, we pray here as a staff, and there's multiple groups in my life. I get a chance to pray with my wife, and, and, and we pray as a family you should have within your sphere some sort of network of people that you can go to God with. That's what we see here in the text. Well, what happens when we choose to pray together? Acts 4 is interesting in that we get the actual words. I don't know if you caught that. It, it, I overlooked it until this week, like looking more in detail. Most of the time in the Bible, you, you hear about praying and you just hear about the results. Here you get the actual words. One of the few times you see what the church prays. So we want to use this and, and our words will be slightly different, but I think the principles will be the same. So we want to look uh, tonight at three principles that we get from the text. Principle number one says, remember that God created it all. Remember, God created it all. When we go to pray, where do we begin? I don't think, and for the most part, you don't see it in Scripture, people beginning with their needs, their requests, their wants. Most of the prayers that you see in Scripture start with God. So let's just look at the text, verse 24. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Sovereign Lord is, it's two words in English, but it's one word that they got as a visual word, despotes or despotes, and it's the word despot. So despotism, those of you who are in student and stuck studying like European history, a despot is an, a despot is an absolute ruler. And so sovereign Lord, absolute ruler, the word means the one with authority over all. You could put it this way, ruler of the household, so in the first century, the Jews are living under the despot who is the Roman emperor Caesar. So 
Caesar is their Lord, literally. He's their absolute ruler with absolute authority. And he could do whatever he wants because he's in charge. And so look at their approach to God. How do we approach God? Yes, he is our friend, right? I mean, we are his children. He is our father. Yet, how do these people, and remind you, Peter and John walk with Jesus, the son of God. They start with sovereign Lord, despotes, ruler. You alone created the heavens and the earth and, and, and the seas. They, re, they remind themselves that everything that was made was made by God. Now, why, why begin here? I am a city boy. I was born and raised in New York, and I grew up with asphalt, concrete, and to me, a lawn was like the stuff that broke between the concrete and that little grass. We, we had no lawn. I mowed nothing. So my whole worldview is city-laden. But um, I've been running a bit. And when you do longer runs, I get bored like here in, in, in just like housing complexes. So I started running, if you know this area well, like West Union and Cornelius Pass. So just go west on West Union Road past Cornelius Pass and you go out towards uh, North Plains, and it's just absolutely beautiful. And again, because I'm so city stuck in my brain, I have forgotten how beautiful this world is. I just go in my car and go from building to building to building, right? Like most of us, coffee shop to coffee shop to coffee shop. And you just get out there. And, and, and when I'm not in a car, I'm going slower. And I'm, not, I'm trying to not get hit by cars. You know, so I'm, I'm really paying attention to my surroundings. And I'm just out there and just see the rolling hills and to see the beautiful farmland and the animals and the number of hawks that could take you out. It's amazing. Like, you just see the thing smiling like, oh, you know, come on, you know, <laughs> death. But, um, but God made all of that. We were at the coast this week in Manzanita and just sitting at the beach for hours and seeing the tide go in and out and the cliffs and the waves crashing. We went to Hug Point. I'd never been to Hug Point. And I didn't follow the tide. We get out there and put our chairs and the tide is rolling in. And I see the waves as my family's on the other side by the point thinking, oh my goodness, and it's coming in. And by God's grace, no one drowned. So there you go. But, but we got out of there fast and I think like, wow, quickly the tides roll in. And, and then we went to Cannon Beach and just sitting and watching where the river goes into the ocean and the birds swirling over and... And no one told them to come. Like, they don't Instagram, they don't tweet. But at the right time, they're coming, and they're just pecking off these fish. Like, and they're just like, dinner. And think that God created this world. God, why start, sovereign Lord, you created the heavens and the earth? Because I forget. When it comes to your problems, all right, this is God, and this represents your problems. Where do they stack? I think for many of us, let's get to the real world. God is maybe slightly above our problems. Our problems overwhelm us. So part of the art of prayer is we start with God who made it all. Sovereign Lord. There's only one who controls the universe and it is God. There's only one who made the universe and it is God. And everything that has been made that we see and that we can't even see down to the atoms and the microbes and the things that require high power devices just to get a clue in, it was all made by God. And when we have that worldview and we come to pray that way, we realize I am on God's side. God who made 
the birds and the rivers and the beautiful landscape. That God made me. And that God is concerned about my welfare. That God sent his son. When I get that kind of perspective, my friends, it changes the focus of my prayer because it changes the focus of my mind and my heart. Maybe it's just me. I need to remind myself of all that God has made because it brings me back. So that's why we start with creation. Well, principle number two. So we start with remembering when you go to pray tomorrow morning, don't just jump into God. It's Monday. Help me out. Maybe take the first 60 seconds, maybe two minutes, maybe five. If it helps you write it down before you pray it, God, this is what you have done. This is what I have seen with my eyes of what you have done. I saw uh, these beautiful twins this morning. I had the privilege of going to the hospital when they were born just uh, six weeks ago and haven't seen them since then. And they were born at five pounds each. Little twin, identical twin boys. And, and now they're up to seven and a half pounds. Just holding my arms and thinking, God, what you have done is amazing. When I get back to what God has done, it refocuses my attention on his ability to do anything. Second principle, remember what God has said and done. So they start with sovereign Lord, you made everything, but then look at how they move. Verse 25, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Now this is interesting. Few times in scripture, do we understand how scripture works? This is one of the few instances the, the early followers of Jesus realized how the Bible came to be. You spoke, that's saying, God, you spoke by your very Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. So Peter, John, the others believed that scripture came to us because the Holy Spirit, who was now living in them, the spirit that came at Pentecost, the spirit that was moving, the spirit that raised this crippled man to health was the same spirit working through their ancient forefather a thousand years ago, David. And then they quote a verse, Psalm 2. If you look at your margin, it probably says it's a quote from Psalm 2. Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Now get this. When we pray, we start with God. God There's no one like you. And look at what all you did. And then we realize what God has said and done. What ought to guide and fuel my prayer life isn't just isolated. I need this. I need that. But I want to try and step in to what God is already doing. How can I have confidence that God will do anything for me? When you go to pray, what confidence do you have that God's listening, that God's for you, and that God's going to work on your behalf? How do you know it? Well, what the early followers of Jesus realized is they had thousands of years of history, thousands of years of the actual record of God by his Holy Spirit working through people generation after generation. So something that could help fuel, if you're stuck like me, and I am a little boy when it comes to praying. I, I, there are some areas of discipleship to Jesus, I feel like I'm thriving and growing in. Prayer is an area where I feel like an infant, and I've been doing this for a long time. But as I'm growing in this, I'm realizing what I need to do is connect my reading with my praying. So they know their Bible well, and they pray out Psalm 2. Now, here's the trick. What you and I probably don't get is Psalm 2 for the Jew was hugely significant. Psalm 2 from their father, David, is a psalm about the coming Messiah. It's a psalm about 
not David alone, but the leader to come, God's anointed one. David was an anointed one, a king. But there was going to be a later anointed one who would be like his father David, who would lead God's people. And the people of God in the time of Jesus were expecting this anointed one to come. And so they, they saw themselves in the pages of the Bible. You ever read a passage and say like, man, I feel like that's me. You ever read about someone who's struggling in the Bible? Like, I get that. Someone who made a foolish mistake in the Bible? Like, I totally get you. Your name's different. I can't pronounce it. But I totally, like, I'm with you. The scriptures are written for us because the details, the attire, the names, the cultures change. But human hearts don't. Throughout the centuries, we're the same. Same struggles, needs, blessings, wants, cravings, all of that. So they saw that in Psalm 2, it was a prayer why do the nations, why do the non-Jews, why do the Gentiles, why do they try to stop God and his anointed messenger, the Messiah? And if you read the rest of Psalm 2, you realize in the end of that Psalm, blessed is the one who follows the Messiah. But the other kings who rage up against God and his anointed messenger, they're going to be crushed. Now, is this coincidental? Peter and John have just been standing on trial. The Jewish leaders are saying, don't preach in the name of Jesus, the Messiah. They connected the dots. Lord, you promised beforehand that you and your Messiah would win. Blessed are the ones, end of Psalm 2, who follow the Messiah. In the same way, they're praying, Lord, these leaders why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Why do these kings, the Sanhedrin, rise up against you? To go against God's Messiah is to go against God. And so Peter and John in the church are saying, God, we've sided with you. We're with your son, Jesus. Now, like you promised in Psalm 2 a thousand years ago, work in our behalf. Be with us like you said you would be. So they go to scripture and they remember what God has said and what God has done. So here's what I'm doing. Maybe this is helpful. If it doesn't help you, I'm sorry. But if it helps one person, it's worth suggesting. I'm finding, I used to just read the Bible and then then pray. But by the time I read the Bible, I was distracted. My prayer life was like very short. But I'm finding I am praying through the Bible. So I've got a reading plan. I hope you do as well. And the reading plan I'm on gets me through the Bible in a year. And it has me in four different books of the Bible every day. Now, if that sounds like super spiritual, it takes 15 minutes. That's all it takes. 15 minutes a day just reading through the Bible. So what I'm doing now is as I'm reading, I'm pausing. And if something strikes my mind, it gets me to think about something. I just stop and I pray. I pray about that. So let me give an example. I'm in Exodus right now very mundane part where God is telling Moses how to, how to build the tabernacle. How, what size the tent poles, the color of the curtains. Like, where, where, what am I doing? Like, you know what struck me as I'm reading chapter after chapter of God's really concerned about how his people come together in his name. God cares about the details about how worship happens. So what's happening is as I'm reading this, I'm realizing God's in the nitty gritty. And so I start praying about you. I start praying about this church. Lord, 
Okay, we don't have tent poles and all that stuff. But God, I thank you that you're going to provide people with skill in our community to do what all that our community needs to do to serve the people of Hillsborough and the Sunset Quarter. God, I pray for the leaders of our church because you seem to appoint out some Levites and some other leaders who, who carry the tent poles. And, and what I'm doing is I'm stepping into the scripture and letting the Holy Spirit who inspired the words lead me and pray. Now, maybe that sounds esoteric and mystical, but I'm finding it to be really practical. As I'm reading, if my mind goes to a thought about you or someone else, I stop and pray and then pause and then just keep reading. Some days it's more prayer and less reading. Some days I don't even get to the end of my little four chapters, but then later on in the day, because I got a meeting or whatever, I'll go back to it and finish reading out. Let's learn to not just pray, but pray through what God has said and done. If you can connect what God has said and done, and you know his heart, his character, his life, his pattern, you put yourself in there and the details change. But let me tell you, human nature doesn't. And so, yes, God was concerned about the tabernacle thousands of years ago, but do you know he's actually concerned about this community now? And he's concerned about you, and he's concerned about leaders, and he's concerned about the struggles we're facing. And so let's connect our praying with our reading. Okay, so that's the second principle. Third one, uh, and this is probably hits us most where we want to be when it comes to prayer, is ask God to continue his saving work. Ask God to continue his saving work. Look at verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel and the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what, was, what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. You ask God to continue saving where God, when we look at the life of your son, Jesus, we recognize a lot of evil people were against Jesus, but we see that this was part of your plan. So Herod and Pontius Pilate, they were conspiring. Even these Jewish leaders are conspiring. But God, we see that your hand is at work. And your hand brought Jesus towards the cross. And now we see because of Jesus' death and resurrection, which we celebrate next weekend. Because of that, now this crippled man can be made whole. Now 5,000 people can find eternal life. Now we're experiencing this promised salvation when Messiah comes. God's people would be united together in worship. And they're like, we see it happening. God, continue to do what you said you would do. Now, Lord... Consider their threats and enable your servants, verse 29, to speak your word with great boldness. God, we want to see your kingdom come. We don't want to see it stop. Verse 30, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What do we pray? When we think about asking God to continue his saving work, we see three things that they prayed for. Number one, consider their threats. Consider their threats. That is, God, you are a just judge. You read the Bible, you realize that people are bent towards evil and everyone has an agenda. Everyone. You do and I do. We all have a hidden motive. And even the most pure and holy of us in the room, we all have parts of us that are bent towards our evil human nature. And in the end, we're not completely trustworthy, but God is. You read the scriptures and you find God always does what's right. So this is what they say. God, consider their threats against us. Implication, you know the heart. 
God judge us if we're off. Now, some of us are being threatened because of our own stupidity. Let's be honest. Like, you know, we're being threatened. We're in trouble because of our own doing. So don't blame God. But in their case, they're like, God, we've been told to stop speaking in, the, in your son's name. You judge. Consider their threats. If their threats are right, we stand with you. If we should stop. But in our soul, we feel like Jesus told us to proclaim the gospel. So consider their threats. And then secondly, enable your servants. They know they're going to face opposition. And they don't ask for a peaceful, quiet life. God, we just want joy. God, we just want like no more conflict. They're like, God, bring it on. Con- enable your servants. Continue the preaching, the healing, the, the miracles. Number three, stretch out your hand. Now, this is a dangerous one. Why were they arrested? Because this man was healed. What does the church ask for when it comes to being put on trial for their faith? They do not ask, God, protect us. God, keep us safe. They actually don't even pray against their enemies. Did you notice this? They just said, consider their threats. Lord, if they're in the right, great. But enable us to speak with boldness. The church knows, the community knows, if they continue speaking in the name, they'll continue to get arrested, they'll continue to get persecuted, and they know violence is coming. And if you keep reading Acts, violence comes quickly. But they're so full of the Spirit of God that they just want what God wants. So let me just tell you this, friend. If you want to see God work in your life, it will cost you something. And here we see that behind the scenes, behind it all, the church is praying, Lord, we want to see more people set free. We want to see people who are crippled, made whole. We want to see the gospel move forward. And if that costs us convenience, and if it costs us some pain, if it costs us a friendship, if it costs us sacrifice, we want it, Lord, because we know that you are better, Jesus. And I wonder what would happen if the hundreds of us here and that, co- and that join us in the morning and at Westside and at Bridgetown, just these three churches alone in the city, the thousands of people represented, if we really believe this and we really pray this way, what might God do in our city? God, consider their threats, enable us. We want to be useful and stretch out your hand. Do what only you can do. And implication, we're here for you. We want to partner with what you're doing. What happens when a group of people pray like this? We see three things in the text, three things that you and I can expect. When we come to God as sovereign Lord and we we say, God, we see what you've made. We see what you've done. You're the Lord of the universe. And when we come and we humble ourselves before him and we say we want to be useful, three things in the text. Verse 31, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Three things that we see as a result of their prayer meeting. The first is that God's presence was there. The shaking, what is that all about? If you read back in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came on the community on the day of Pentecost, it says there was like a violent wind rushed through the room. There was a shaking Whenever you have that kind of violent activity, it's a metaphor in Scripture for the presence of God. In the Old Testament, in Exodus, in when Moses receives the Ten Commandments on the mountain of God, the Bible says that Moses went up and Aaron to, to, to meet with God, and there was a violent earthquake, and the mountain trembled. 
the, the coming of God, the coming of God's presence is, is, is shared in human language. How do you describe God being there? They describe it as the place was shaken. If you've ever been in a, in a mild tremor, even I've been in some places where there's been a low grade earthquake and suddenly, you know, like something ain't right. Like, you know, duck undercover. You know, this isn't normal. And that's the, the verbiage the church uses to describe it. The place that they were meeting was, was there a, a physical earthquake? Like we don't know. But what we do know is everyone knew something extraordinary happened. And when you and I come together, this is why I'm so thrilled that the ladies of this church are going to be in the room next door Friday night, spending four hours in the presence of God for the good of all of us. I believe that your life, and hear me, I believe that your life can and will be different because a hundred or so ladies are going to meet for four hours with Jesus concerning you. They're going to be praying for all of us. They're going to be leading the way. And when you and I make this part of our rhythm, that's why before every gathering, an hour, if you come to the six at five o'clock in the room next door, you can pray for 20 minutes, 30 minutes with other brothers and sisters and seek God together. If we really believe this, that God's presence is wherever we come together in Jesus' name, something amazing happens. Second thing is you see that there's a fresh filling. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is a little confusing because I, I thought Acts 2 said they all received the Holy Spirit. So Acts 4 says they were all filled with the Spirit. What, what does that mean? I thought when I get the Holy Spirit, I have the Holy Spirit. No, what Luke picks up on is what the church has celebrated is that the receiving of God is like a marriage. And now, now I, I got married to Carmen 21 years ago. Did I receive all of Carmen on the day that I put this ring on? Did I receive all of her? Well, in one sense, yes, we became one. But in another sense, absolutely not. I had no idea. I was 21 and dumb. Like, I had no idea what I was getting into. But over 21 years, I have learned and grown and grown. And so the Holy Spirit isn't a force. The Holy Spirit isn't an it. The Holy Spirit is the person of God come to you. And when you receive the person of God, you should expect that you'll be filled and filled and filled. And there are seasons of life where I feel super close to Carmen. And that makes sense. We're in relationship. And there are seasons where we feel a little distant, where we have a little tension. It's usually my fault. But it's truth. But, but there's some tension. But, but then again, we're filled. And, and we make up and we're right again. And, and there's that refilling. We should expect the same thing with God. That if you think that you come to Jesus, sins removed, spirit given, and that's it, then, oh gosh, you're going to have the most frustrating Christian life. But if you believe that the spirit has come and he's a person and he wants to grow in depth and depth and depth in your soul and he wants to reveal God to you and reveal yourself to yourself and expose the things and heal the things and remove things and add things, what happened was they got another wind, fresh bit of joy and boldness. And we see the third thing, obviously, is that they were bold. And the end of the prayer meeting was that they spoke the word of God with boldness. So let's just summarize. Chapter three, it start, the miracle starts with prayer. Peter and John are going up to pray and God does what only God does. He heals this man. At the end of the, the, the trial and the release, the churches together, what are they doing? Praying, and when they pray together, boldness, 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 boldness. And I pray that that happens for us. 
that as, as a culture, as a community, as we reorient our lives to be more gathered together in prayer, that we will experience what they did, that we'll know God's presence is here, that we'll receive a fresh filling and that will speak the word of God more boldly. So what happens tomorrow on your campus or where you work or in your home or in your community, what happens here should affect all of that. And we're praying that Easter's coming. Easter's next weekend. It's one of those weekends where if you're an American, it's an okay time to go to church. What would happen if tonight we reminded ourselves that God is with us when we pray? This Friday, a hundred ladies get together and seek God on behalf of all of us. What might happen next Sunday? It's baptism Sunday. And I'm praying that many people respond to Jesus. I pray that people that you know that aren't even thinking about coming, come hear the word of God. And like the crippled man is set free in a moment that they encounter life in Jesus and they're changed. And it's because the community is together praying. Never forget this. The miracle begins and ends with prayer.